Coming up today on Locked On Texas Tech, returning riches. As we talk about a few, we are glad to see back in red and black, round ball and oblong ball. Next on Locked On Texas Tech. You are Locked On Texas Tech, your daily podcast on the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're going to start this thing off right. Great to see you again on Locked On Texas Tech on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for making us your first listen every day on YouTube or anywhere you get podcasts, including now on the SiriusXM app. That's SXM in the App Store. Check it out. He's the only Chris Level. I'm Casey Cowan. Today's show, the theme returning, because we're going to talk about a couple of returners here today, Chris, on two different fronts. One of those we'll get to on the hardwood. We'll talk about a hoops returner for Grant McCaslin and the Red Raiders. But want to kick off the show in Joey McGuire's world, talking football and talking about a returner that I guess at some point last year, you know, may have been a foregone conclusion that you would see him again in a tech uniform. Then it got a little bit more interesting, I guess, into the offseason as you saw Twitter follows and wide receiver coaches elsewhere, maybe liking a tweet here or there from Jerron Bradley. That's the man we're talking about, and he's the man that I really feel like, Chris, needs to, don't know if he will, but needs to fill those biggest shoes uh, within that group of wide receivers. Saw some flashes last year. Had a couple of uh, games he strung together, looking for a little more consistency, but I I remember not too long ago, there was a real thought about, do we see this guy back in Lubbock? Because it seemed like he was getting some of that attention elsewhere, right or wrong, uh, that could lead to a transfer. But we didn't see that come to pass. Man, I'm excited to see Bradley back in West Texas again. Yeah, Calvin, I think what what really started that, um, I don't want to say rumor mill, but where people started really kind of following it closely is when Joey McGuire did a radio interview in the Metroplex. And he... He kind of, I don't know if you want to say through some shade or he kind of, but he kind of made everybody aware, you know, we, we, we know what's going on. We know who's involved. We know, you know, all we want you to be of, aware. We're aware. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I think, uh, and then you have, you know, you have uh, Emmett Jones go from Texas tech to, to yeah. Norman uh, university of Oklahoma. And I think that, you know, even added to, to the speculation, but you know, there, there was some, uh, I don't want to say it was tenuous, but there was some uncertainty. I think that was the best way that, that to describe it. And I think you touched on it where you weren't real sure what, what the situation was going to look like, but I think everybody got that sorted out. I think Jerron really never wanted to leave here. Uh, I think uh, everybody uh, involved uh, very excited that, that, you know, possibility, you know, was removed shortly, you know, a a week or two into January. Right. And, you you know, I, uh, I was listed, first of all, Red Raider Sports um, tweeted out, you know, the, the top five receiving leaders uh, yesterday uh, coming back in the big 12. I've actually heard some you know, we all love lists, right? And and I think you start to see this time of year whenever people start ranking certain positions or players or teams or whatever, 
we, we, we do a lot of this exercise to kind of fill up the time. And, and it's it's fun because there's no right, right or wrong answers in some ways. But I, I think that at the time, I'll be I'll be the first one. Admit, I watched every snap from this kid. I've watched, you know, and, and I think it, it, some of it speaks to who, who left the league and, and graduated or, or, you know, left the, the league via the, the transfer portal or is now in the NFL or, or, or is, you know, uh, no more eligibility. But I don't guess I just grasped how, you know, the, the, the stats that Jerron Bradley was able to put up last year in relation to what everybody else's were that's coming back into the Big 12 Conference. And what I mean by that is, like, you look at returning receivers in this league – and, and you and you and you you use this exercise to kind of okay who's going to be like all conference types who who's going to be like preseason this or that or whatever and, and a lot of time it, it, it's stat driven it's just the way it goes but he's a he's a bona fide top five returning receiver in the league and I I I, I wouldn't have really guessed that at the time that we were having these conversations back in January when he was maybe about I me mean, good player. I think uh, he's a young player. I think we remember the the, the long pass against uh, Mississippi State in the Liberty Bowl. We, we certainly remember some of the flashes from last year, but nearly 800 yards, seven touchdowns, uh, over 50 catches. But but that ranks really near the top uh, of, of returners. And it's like nobody's going to tell you that he's the best receiver coming back in the, in, the, in the league. That's Xavier Worthy. I don't think anybody could argue against that. I mean, that's – you're talking about somebody that's, I think, combined Xavier Worthy for like 22 touchdown receptions in the last two years, and he was he wasn't even healthy uh, all of last year either, and had nine touchdowns and then 12 the year before. So he's a more than likely an NFL draft pick and those things like that after this year. But Jerron Bradley fits in uh, right, you know, right in that next tier of, of wideouts in the Big 12. Yeah, I remember having a conversation prior to last season with um, it was Buddy Waters and, and Krishan Merriweather I got to visit with on Black Label Radio, and I, we we got to talking about guys that they're seeing across the line of scrimmage in fall camp. Who are these wide receivers, et cetera, that are getting your attention? And we more so we're talking about pass catchers because the running backs were were a known commodity, obviously, with guys like Sir Roger Thompson and Taj Brooks leading the way last year. But uh, Muddy said, "Who do you think it is?" I went with Jerron Bradley, really just kind of uh, shot in the dark because of measurables. You look at the dude and you see what he can do physically that you really can't teach your coach and that not everybody can do. And I'm just thinking at that time, Chris, I don't know, again, if he will be, but he needs to be. Uh, Texas Tech needs this guy to fill those kinds of shoes. And... By the way, Muddy's answer that day was Miles Price, who got a little derailed by injury, unfortunately. So we didn't really see that come to fruition. And we never really saw my my hope come to fruition either with Bradley, at least not consistently, like I said just a few minutes ago. And I'm curious how you improve on this part, because just as an example, first two games of the season, he has 12 catches. I mean, that's heavily involved, six in each. Took him the next four games to get another 12 catches so it was just kind of that way all year long there were some low spots and then eight grabs for 119 and a td in stillwater uh hooking up with baron morton that was a memorable day for uh bradley but then you go through again the next few games and it takes you another four to collect eight receptions again but then you finish the season 
eight grabs in each of your final two, 173 against the Sooners, 88 uh, against Ole Miss, touchdowns in each of them. I, I wonder what you think about how do you connect those dots and become that more consistent presence week to week to week? And also, how much do you think that guy was just impacted uh, by quarterback turnover? Because I know, I know chemistry and synergy between those guys – should be getting better as the season goes along. If it's one dude, you can you know keep healthy. But obviously, that wasn't the case last year. This is a young player, okay. And I think that's the hardest thing for young players is that they flash, and and it's can you do it all the time? And yeah. can can you you know because when you hear coaches talk about players that flash they're showing you what they're capable of, but it's like, we don't see it enough. And I think Bradley was at some level consistent last year. You know, there, there wasn't really a game where he was, you know, shut out or, or whatever. However, you also have to look at, you know, what was he able to do to be like a top guy, to be like the, the the guy, like a number one and I think it's funny because I think you nailed it. It's like 16 catches in those last two games, right? Because I, I looked this up too. You you were on the same track as I was. 16 catches, 261, and two TDs in those last two games alone. The four games before that, and, and again, we're in the back half of the season, 11 catches, so so less, and then 166 and one TD. Right. W- which player is it? You know, what which, which one which one is it? And I think it's 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 going to be difficult to be that that last two games guy all the time. Eight catches a game, you know, a hundred yard. I mean, th- those are th- those are big time numbers because at that point you're talking about first team Big Twelve. You're talking about All American type stuff. I mean, you're you're really in a in a twelve hundred, fifteen hundred, you know, receiving yards uh, type of season if you were able to do that all the time. But I think that's the next step for him is to kind of not be not with this production not be so high and low you know and and i think that's that will be the key thing for him is to kind of even that out a little bit and 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 raise the raise the floor you know to where you know there's not some some games where it's like man i just don't really remember him much or he didn't affect the game much or he just had a catch or two hey look the good ones the really good ones and we've seen some that have come through here everybody knows where the ball is going and they still produce, you know? And, and so, but I, I think to your point, I think you're, you're dead on in that the quarterback inconsistency probably wreaked havoc on players like Jerron Bradley and everybody in that room. That's just the facts. K- chemistry, timing, different, different plays being called that, that, that slant more to, cause I mean, I think it's funny that you, you, you mentioned that Oklahoma state game. And I think that, that was a different game plan than obviously what you ran at Iowa State. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Uh, and and obviously Barron versus uh, Tyler. And I think well, when Don, yeah. Chris, I was just going to say, I noticed when you mentioned that four-game stretch prior to those final two big ones, uh, three of those four, Baylor, Texas Christian, Iowa State, uh, defensively that you were facing. So may have not been, you know, a coincidence that there was some uh, light statistical impact those days. Yeah, and, and 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 so all that factors in, but I think I think it's just fair to say though that he is a he's a top five guy in the league. 
I mean, coming into the year, it doesn't mean he'll finish that way, but that's the, he, he's going to be first or second team all Big 12. In my that's what I was going to ask. Needs yeah. to be first team. He's got that capability, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, and I, I mean, again, I, I think uh, Brennan Presley put up some numbers, only had two touchdowns uh, at Oklahoma State. I think uh, Javon Baker, who was one of the new guys that people are going to, who's that? He's a Central Florida now, transferred to Central Florida from uh, Alabama. And then you have uh, Arnold Lawrence, um, who's at Kansas, and I think Phillip Brooks at Kansas State. But I think statistically, Bradley's just—he's got great numbers, man. He just does, and I think the the production was there. Um, he's just, you know, technically a sophomore. I think uh, eligibility-wise, I think is right because I think that the first year. You know, I, I, I'm trying to remember if he's got a COVID year because either sophomore or junior. You know, and I lose track of like if they have the extra COVID year or not. He may have been on the on the the wrong side of it, so maybe a, a junior classification wise. No, no matter how he's listed, I'm not sure if he has a, an extra year or not. But bottom line is, it's really all in front of him still. And I think up until now, he hasn't been asked to be a guy. I think now he's going to be kind of asked to be and, – and, and who he is as a player, he's a bully ball guy. He's like – he's not really going to burn you with a, with a, with game-breaking speed and he's not a threat to take it to the distance anytime he, he catches it. However, he's a, he's a 50-50 you – know, he's a big physical target. He's a red zone guy. Um, I think somebody like Dre McRae's speed and ability to get behind the defense – only helps somebody like uh, Jerron Bradley um, in, in that sense and kind of maybe opens things up a bit. Uh, so some speed by Loic or, or Dre, I think, would only help a guy like Jerron Bradley, and I think that is that is worth mentioning in this case. Uh, Bradley classified as a sophomore in 23, had a redshirt season in, in 21 where he did play four games, but uh, was able to redshirt, and then obviously we saw him last year as a freshman. I don't think he has a, a COVID eligibility. Okay. I could okay. be wrong. Okay. But sophomore is a classification this season. And you mentioned Dre McCray, and, and I'm glad because I wanted to pivot before we leave this topic uh, to the bigger picture as far as this group of pass catchers uh, and guys that hopefully are game breakers at that position. Chris, we've seen some great groups obviously come through West Texas over the years. Uh, I've become a little jaded in some ways by that position because I know you need so many other things uh, to make a football team. And sometimes I feel right. like I've, I've gotten like too wrapped up and, hey, these wide receivers are great, but – Quarterback's getting killed every play because the offensive line stinks, so it doesn't matter what the wide receivers are. But I kind of – I'm a little bullish on uh, on this group. I, I, don't, I don't know why exactly, but you think about guys like Price who are still going to factor in and, and what they've seen and hopefully with a little, little bit better luck uh, health-wise will have a big year. But extremely excited for Dre McCray. I think about guys also like uh, Nehemiah Martinez. Mm-hmm. I – I'm optimistic about this group. I don't want to go wild because uh, a group of wide receivers does not a football team make. So I, I understand that. But I comparatively, maybe the last decade or so, I feel like potential-wise, this is this is not a bad one. How do you see this big picture, this group shaping out? But first, today's episode brought to you by Built Barn. If you're looking for a delicious snack, but you don't want all the sugar, don't want all the calories, I got what you need, buddy. That's Built Bar or Built Puff. What makes them so good? For starters, covered in 100% real dark chocolate. Tastes so great, you're not going to think they're good for you. Unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream. 
Not sure how they do it, but they maintain amazing macros while tasting like a candy bar. What's even better, they're healthy. Only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait to get a box. You can always go to Built.com to get your specialty flavors. But also right now, you can walk into your local Walmart or Sam's Club and pick up a four-bar box if you're at Walmart. Or if you hit Sam's Club, 13-bar box with hit flavors, brownie batter puff, or the churro puff. You can thank me later after you try your first Built Bar. Comparatively, maybe the last decade or so, I feel like potential-wise, this is... This is not a bad one. How do you see this big picture, this group shaping up? The the entire group is back with with uh, you you I don't know if you want to call it a trade, but you 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 swapped Trey Trey Cleveland who has ended up in North Texas and you added Dre McCray. Other than that, everything for the most part is exactly the same at at outside and inside receiver. Uh and I think that's important to note. Uh I think you have guys like J.J. Sparkman that maybe could take a next step. He's kind of has this consistency issue as well. I think you have guys like Loic, who the the ability is off the charts. It's just a matter of can he be available to you and not get dinged up. I think Dre, uh, they've tried to teach all the different receiver spots to him, and I think he's kind of – oh, I think the term would be swimming a little bit, just trying to figure out – you know, so he hasn't been able to turn it loose yet because they're trying to cross-train him because – this is what they think of him. We, we, we want you to play outside. Uh, we want you to play inside. We want you to play the other outside spot. And, and they're all a little bit different. And so I think they're trying to – they threw a, a lot at him. And then a, guy's like, a guy like Miles Price could end up being your best receiver. But, again, he, he was just dinged up last year. But, yeah, you, you mentioned Nehemiah. You mentioned Xavier White. I'm really high on a guy like Coy Aiken who got dinged up in the latter part of the spring. Yeah. I think he could take a, a next step. And then you have guys like Brady Boyd who didn't even play this spring that I think could be really, really good for you. Um, and, and so I just – I think there's a lot of sizes and shapes. There's a lot of speed component. There's you, You've got enough inside, outside. It's really deep. I don't know if there's technically a draft pick here, okay, yet or anything like that. But I do think – and, again, part of me is kind of somewhat surprised that I'm saying this in some ways because I just didn't know – it's all about context – I didn't know the context of where Jerron Bradley's numbers stacked up to everybody else's that was returning, but his numbers yeah. belong right there at the top. And it's not Xavier worthy, like by any means, uh, but it, it's, it's right there after it. And I think there's some other guys you can talk about, which we just did uh, in, in that next tier, but he belongs in, in that group, at least on paper. Now it's just a matter of, are you the guy that was catching eight balls a game in the last two games? Or are you the guy that the previous four games you didn't even have, but what 11 catches total, you know, you had two catches, three catches, four catches, you know, stuff like that in, in these games that that's, you know, you, you need to even that out a little bit. It needs to slant toward, you know, you're a primary target and everybody knows where the ball's going and they can't do anything about it. But so much of that will be about quarterback health and yeah. timing and chemistry and all those kinds of things will do nothing but help him there. An incredibly interesting spot also because of what you made reference to earlier, the departure of your position coach and Emmett Jones and the arrival of uh, Justin Juice Johnson, who is just interesting in and of himself because of the connection to Coach McGuire, but that's where he is now with these pass catchers. So it'd be pretty interesting to observe all the way around what step they can take forward. And we'll talk about so many returners, so much experience in a lot of different spots, but the wide receiver group has as much returning uh, maybe as, as any group on either side of the ball. So high expectations justified. And 
anytime we're talking wide receivers, Chris, I, I just don't know that you have, have topped yet group wise. And look, any group that Michael Crabtree is in, that's a great group. Okay. <laughs> but I still go back to the days of Joel Falani, Jarrett Hicks, and a five-star Juco quarterback turned Aggie killer named Robert Johnson. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever really had it any better than that small window uh, when those three guys were cooking at the same time. And it got a little bit limited, unfortunately, because of clearinghouse and Hicks and yada, yada, yada. But I kind of remember thinking, all right, well, here's Jared Hicks. He, he's the next guy. And I was like, wait, okay, maybe this Falani dude is the next guy. Then it's like, wait, maybe this Juco quarterback is the next guy. And they just all turned out to be dudes at the same time. I, I don't know if you've ever had it better than that since then. Again, save for what you were with Michael Crabtree in the big two-time Belitnikov winner. But uh, is that still the high watermark? Is that the standard? Or who, who stands out to you like that? Yeah, you know, there was an under-the-radar group in one of Coach Tuberville's first or second I'm, I'm trying to remember back. Well, I, I guess it was it was the year after he 50 yard lined everybody and left. But it was, <laughs> I just and the reason I remember this is because a guy named Tommy Maynard was the outside receivers coach. Neil yeah. Brown was the OC and all that. And and Tommy Carlos's son, you know, Tommy was the guy that re, he was specifically responsible for recruiting Jakeem Grant here, yeah. LaRaven Clark here. I mean, some NFL guys, but he was the outside receivers coach. Uh, and and then Tuberville departs to go to Cincinnati, and then everybody here is kind of out of a job or wondering what's next for them. And Tommy Maynard is sitting there, and he's got two 1,000-yard receivers, <laughs> Eric Ward and Darren Moore. Yeah. And, and I thought, what a BS profession these guys are in. This guy did, the, did his job. Anybody that – if you have one 1,000-yard receiver, you know, in college football, that was back, you know, obviously there wasn't, you know, um, I, I just – you know, that, that's the high watermark, right? And he had two right. of them um, and coached them to perfection, and they were productive. They were really, really good. And, you know, so I've always remembered that group because it's not a, a group that people, you know, like offense in general. Yeah. Uh, J, Jace was, I think, maybe a part of uh, – I- that little run. Too. I was going to ask: Was that all the same time with with Amaro and Grant on the inside, Ward and Moore, or yeah, the, so, salty man? <laughs> I mean, when you when you when you think oh, yeah. back, we, Eric we just, Ward, one of my favorites of the last decade individually. For sure. Hammerhead, yeah, yeah, they used to call him Hammerhead because he would light you up uh, <laughs> on, would. On, a, on a block. Wichita Falls Rider. That's I right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but that, that's a group that I, I don't think ever yeah. gets mentioned enough. Uh, so uh, because the yeah, Eric was. He was a big time guy, but that era kind of gets, you know, because sure. of how the coaching transition happened and people don't look fondly upon that uh, Tuberville era. But there were some really good players and really good coaches, uh, you know, associated with that that particular group. But that's one group I would I would certainly I don't know if it was as good as the, the group you're talking about. You know, I think Amendola was even a part of the uh, and maybe even Eric Morris, uh, you know, and kind of in that general time frame back when uh, you're talking about Nixon yeah. Falani and. Uh, Robert Johnson, all those guys, but uh, but hopefully, man, hopefully you get some of that conversation this year because the, again, on paper, there's a lot to like. It's just a matter of sure. of staying healthy and then getting some continuity with uh, whoever's playing quarterback for you and and availability there. Uh, 
anxious to see what they can do this season because <laughs> really optimistic about the potential of this group. But other things got to click. We have mentioned offensive line. We have mentioned quarterback health uh, for a reason within this wide receiver conversation. All right, we are going to make a hard left here coming up next as we wrap up the episode, though, with something that Red Raider fans should enjoy. However, as you got good news on a hoops front with the official declared return of Lamar Washington. We'll break it down next, what it means for Grant McCaslin and the Red Raiders on Locked On Texas Tech. Making Locked On Texas Tech a part of your day, whenever, wherever, however you're doing it. We appreciate it. Thanks for making us your first listen on YouTube or anywhere you get podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe on YouTube if you haven't so far. Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, the podcast index, or on the SXM app. That's Sirius XM in the App Store. Thanks for joining us, however you're making it happen. With Chris Level, I'm Casey Cowan. Before we're out of here, Talking about some good news for Red Raider Hoops, Chris, because this guy was definitely on my short list that I'd love to have back in a Texas Tech uniform in year one under Grant McCaslin. Uh, that is Lamar Washington, who indicated via his Twitter account, uh, what, in the last 24, 36 hours or so, that uh, he would be back at Texas Tech with Coach McCaslin. And, um, man, I liked, I liked what we saw from him just as far as give a damn, competing, effort intensity urgency last year but I, I feel like we didn't even hardly scratch the surface as far as you know what he is as a basketball player i i noticed him on the floor but i'm not even sure that we really saw what he can do for you so i'm excited to have him back in red and black again uh, another player that uh that i think is wasn't necessarily a lock to come back i think that's why he announces that he's he he's doing so because i think there was a lot of curiosity about how he fit where he fit I think he'll be a really good player for for Grant and the way he wants to play it defensively because I think you know there's a lot of uh toughness and intensity with a guy like Lamar um I think if you were wanting to criticize part of his game one is again young player so this is just comes with the territory his you know it's a, just like pop did some turnover issues I think when you're asking him to be play the point guard and kind of facilitate and all that I think there was a I'm trying to remember what game it was I think it was at Oklahoma State I think he had five or six turnovers and like when you're a primary ball handler you, you just you cannot operate that way and and he just it was just not his night and I, I think I'm right on the game um but but then like the next night he comes back and he's got like one turnover and like six assists. And so that's just kind of you, you you ride that up and down wave with with the young player. I think that the one thing about Lamar, though, is that you never have to question where he's at defensively. And that's why I thought he'd be such a good fit for what Grant was wanting to do. I think if you're wanting to, to look at, OK, what can we get better at? I mentioned the turnovers. It, it's a perimeter game. And I think that he is not somebody that shot the ball particularly well last year. Uh, I think we even mentioned that as the season was going along and there were some people, you know, kind of commenting to you and I, like, did you see what he did in high school and, and all those things? There's no doubt he could score in high school and he can score at this level. I just think that the, the, the perimeter game needs to be, you know, a little bit more consistently. I'm guessing he will work on that a lot. He's a great kid and he's tough. And I think he, he's somebody that, 
no matter who else they bring in here, he's going to be in that top seven or eight guaranteed just because of his defensive prowess and his toughness. And he's got some dog going. And I think that's, that's a good thing. It's, it's going to be a typical, and he's got a, a big 12 body. You know, he's, this is a legit six, two, six, three, but he's got some size to him. He plays bigger than he actually is. Um, he's got a good vibe about him. Uh, I just like his kind of his personality. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not super emotional, and so I, I just kind of like the way he kind of shows up and he's a worker, man. And so, but you're really young, Cowan. I mean, you, you know, th this this sophomore class is now pretty, you know, because I'm, I'm looking at it now, you got Pop Lamar, Kyron Lindsey, Robert Jennings, and now Darian Williams. The bulk of your team is now going to be sophomores next year. Guess what? You're going to be really, really young again. And you've still got several spots left to, to fill. Uh, I think technically would be four. But I was really glad to see Lamar Washington decided to stay here because these are the kinds of guys that you want to grow old with. Because I can't find anything wrong like, man, he needs to go. This isn't working here. No, you were looking for reasons to want to keep the Jenningses and Lamar Washingtons and the Pop Isaacs and things like that. Now, you, hopefully you we look up in two years and they're seniors here and you're like, okay. And that may be what Grant's trying to do. It's like, hey, be a little patient initially here. We can keep this core group together kind of grow old with it, there's going to be a payoff. Um, if we can sprinkle some age and experience with them along the way, uh, that may be what uh, what he's what he's uh, looking to do right now. I will not be patient. Thanks for asking, though. Uh, <laughs> do you think that Texas Tech has, <clears throat> as far as returners that have come and gone, uh, stayed or gone, I guess I should say, um, have they missed anybody they wanted? Because I, I kind of feel like some of these former Red Raiders now, Amac, Tyson, Fisher, uh, were processed. I, do you think that they have not gotten somebody they really wanted to be back? As far as uh, yeah, I think I think Bacho is one. That, I really that do. My mind. Yeah, I, I really do. I, I think that uh, up until his kind of under the radar Louisiana tech visit, I think head coach and other people had had really good conversations with him. I think they were trying to work through his questions and they, but they, they I think this is a player that, that yeah. they wanted to keep. And, and that's why the need for a guy like Warren Washington is, is so, you know, at the top of the list uh, as far as once goes. And if it's not him, it's got to be somebody just because you just don't have that component on your team right now. And otherwise you're going to be woefully undersized. And, and and sometimes teams do that. You you can have, you know, as long as if, if you've got a bunch of six, eight guys that play bigger than they are, you can get away with it, but you don't have a true rim protector. You don't have a, a, a true post uh, or anything like that. And I think Bacho's a guy, I would say this too. I think I really do think Elijah Fisher would have been closer to that category than people realize. I just don't think Elijah Fisher. I think Elijah Fisher did not. We, we've heard his commentary and all that, and that's not what I'm getting into. I, I don't think he had a good experience here. I think that has a lot to do with the previous coach. Also, don't know if Lubbock just was ever uh, a fit for home for him for a variety of reasons. And I just don't know. I think he wanted to be closer up north where he's from Canada and all that stuff. But, I mean, from a player standpoint, I do think there was some interest in keeping him because you just saw him really start to scratch the surface. And I think 
where Grant was maybe coming at it from is that I noticed a lot on the defensive end of the floor. He's a guy that did play bigger than he was. He did the yeah. little things. You weren't asking him to score 15 a game, but he'd get a key rebound, uh, a block, uh, you know, diving on the floor, whatever it was. And it was that last month of the year where you like, man, I kind of now start to see this kid grow up in front of my eyes. And so I hate that uh, DePaul will, will likely, I guess, benefit from that now. And so anyway, I, with, with, I'm not, I'm just talking about him, the player. I'm not talking yeah. about all the other stuff, but I, but I, I think Bacho is, Bacho, excuse me, is certainly an answer to your question, but I think it's fair that Faraz was just not going to stay here. I think that that was, that was not going to happen. And I don't know if, the Jalen thing was more of a man. You're just not a fit here, and so I think they just all went uh, went their separate ways there. Yeah, Bacho is definitely the answer. I don't know how I could have forgotten yeah. him, but that that's one you're going to sorely miss. And yeah, hopefully on one of these episodes coming up here pretty soon, uh, we've got something to discuss as far as some more size added to the roster because uh, it is clearly a priority. And I mean, soon enough you're going to be calling Miles Cole and Baylor Cup and asking them if they. <laughs> They want to hoop or, or Joey Hawkins. Think. Yeah, let's just see what we can do as far as disrupting around the rim, boys, whenever you get done uh, pursuing quarterbacks or, or catching passes. But uh, hopefully some news to share in uh, some some days soon to come. So be back with us here on Locked on Texas Tech as we'll keep an eye on that and much, much more. Back to wrap up the week tomorrow with another edition. Looking forward to it. Hope you'll join us on YouTube or anywhere you get podcasts. Chris, that goes for you as well. Hope to see you again. Thanks for the time today, man. Enjoyed it as always. Absolutely. And, and as you and I sit here and talk, today is the last day that basketball players can get into the portal right. to be eligible for uh, for this next season. So I don't know exactly the time today, but uh, you know, after today, everybody that is still on your roster will remain so if they want to play uh, next year. So that is indeed the case, but uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Keep hope alive, everybody. That's right. They turned to pumpkins yeah. at midnight if they have not gotten into the portal. Yes. So uh, a big day. Thanks for the reminder on that. Okay, one more reminder for you. YouTube or anywhere you get podcasts is where you want to be tomorrow for another episode of Locked on Texas Tech. We will see you then. For Chris, I'm Casey. Thanks for joining us again on Locked on Texas Tech.